morning. This evening I'm going to discuss uh, how it is Scripture went from the mouth of God to the very Bibles that we have. I talked this morning about how Scripture cannot ever be lost and uh, how the... Uh, the word of the Lord stands forever. So how does it go from the mouth of God to our hands? I'm going to talk about how we know which books belong in the Bible, because when I say the Bible, uh, we have one idea in mind, but other people, other uh, religions may have a, a different idea in mind with some of the same contents, but some of it might be a little bit different. So I'm going to talk about how we can be confident that the Bible we hold is the one that God intended for us to have and has passed down for us. So anyway, we are going to, uh, we can pray and we'll get on to the presentation. But our Father, we are thankful for the time that we have to uh, continue discussing your word and, and your faithfulness in preserving your word for us. Uh, we're thankful that we can be confident that the, the very books that we have on our scriptures are indeed your word and that we can live by them, uh, that uh, we are set secure by walking in them, that they are a light to our feet. We pray that you bless this time that we have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the canon of scripture. First, uh, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about where we got our Bible. Like I said, how did the Bible get from God's word or God's mouth to our hands? And, and I uh, talked a little bit about this this morning. Remember what we believe. We believe the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, to be the inspired word of God without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men and the divine and final authority for all Christians' faith and life. And this really is talking about uh, the without error in the original writings aspect. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, the original writings, where they came from, how we're confident that we're in possession of them today, and how we're confident that as we read our own Bibles, they are reflective of that original writing. So when God spoke, he did so through written text. And we talked about this, where Jesus said, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Then he goes on and quotes the book of Exodus. The Apostle Paul, all scripture is God-breathed, as we'd already seen. Uh, and God worked through human hands to give us that scripture. He worked through human authors to give us his word, as we saw in Second Peter. Know this first of all that no scripture, no prophecy of scripture comes by one one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Uh, you could say scripture is both a human and divine book. It's human in the sense that human hands and minds were used in its production. In the uh, it is divine in the sense that the final result is the direct revelation from God. So, the original text of scripture, as I said this morning, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, with a few chapters in the New Testament written in Aramaic, but primarily written in Hebrew. The Old Testament canon was completed and recognized as authoritative by 300 BC, so 300 years before the time of Christ. The last word had been written, Malachi, the last prophet, had spoken and was already dead and gone by this point, and the Jewish people recognized the body of literature that they had was indeed the very words of God. And this body of literature, this Old Testament, was preserved for us largely in what is known as the Masoretic Text. And here's an example of what uh, some of that writing looked like. 
uh, the original Hebrew, and Hebrew is written from right to left, uh, kind of flips your brains uh, upside down when you try to figure that out. But uh, that's, this gives you an idea of what it looked like, and it's preserved through us through the manuscript tradition. So them copying it and recording it and uh, dispersing it and reading it in their synagogues. The New Testament, oh, the New Testament similarly was written in Greek. This was the common language of the day during the time of Jesus and the apostles, and it's the language that the, New Old, or that the New Testament was written in. The writing of the New Testament began around, oh, within a decade or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it ceased with the death of the last apostle, John. And it's preserved for us in over 5,000 Greek manuscripts that largely fall into what we call textual streams. So you can picture this as kind of a tree, right? Uh, You have the original document, the original New Testament, or the original book of Romans, and then as that's copied, and then those copies are copied, and then those copies of copies are copied, you can, if you picture that in your mind flowing down, it almost looks like a family tree, and they can, they're organized in uh, these two ways based on similarities between them. So, Transmission of the New Testament. Uh, The original document of a book of Scripture is called the autograph, right? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the original writings. When Paul sat down and dictated Romans, that initial, uh, that final result is called the autograph. When Galatians was penned by Paul and sent to the Galatian churches, that was called the autograph. That's just a fancy word we use for the original. Uh, copies of these original documents were made, and we call these manuscripts. And because Christians recognize the authoritative nature of these documents, uh, the New Testament, they were widely copied and distributed. Christians recognized the value of this, and they wanted to get it into the hands of everyone, so uh, copies were made like crazy. And today, we have in our possession over 5,000 manuscripts of the original New Testament uh, Greek. And there were many more than those 5,000 manuscripts, but because time goes on, many of them are lost to time. Manuscripts can be as small as just a few verses And they can be as large as the entirety of the New Testament. Uh, And there are groups of these manuscripts that share much in common with one another, as I talked about. Alexandrian and Byzantine is typically how they are recognized. And I had one more slide, but it is through the compilation of those manuscripts, checking them against one another, uh, that uh, gets us to the what we might find in a Greek New Testament. If you uh, go to a Christian bookstore online, you can order a Greek New Testament, and that's the result of people taking these manuscripts, compiling them together, uh, comparing them, and then put, uh, putting it together in one book. And then how we get our English translations is translators will take that compiled document that uh, it's called a critical text, that Greek New Testament, and then they'll translate it into a language that can be understood. Uh, So contrary to the the popular belief that some people might uh, have that, oh, it started as Greek, then it was translated into Latin, then it was translated into German, then French, and then English, and uh, by the time it got to English, who knows what it possibly said, our Bibles are translated directly from the words that were written by the, apostle, uh, by the apostles. So we can have great confidence in that. So what is the canon? This gets us to canon. What is the canon? What is canon? Is it a digital camera? Well, yeah. 
It's also a big gun, but when it's a big gun, it's got two ends in it. Uh, what is canon when we're talking about the Bible? Well, the word canon is a, a Greek transliteration of Hebrew word, and it simply means reed or cane. And it later came to mean a measuring stick, a measuring rod. Uh, that, and we can think of a ruler in our day. How do you know how big a foot is? Well, you have a ruler. That is the standard for determining how long a foot is. Uh, by extension, it came to mean rule or standard. Why is a ruler called a ruler? Because that's the rule that determines how long a foot is. Uh, the canon of Scripture, uh, when we use the word canon to describe Scripture, what we're talking about is the list of books recognized as God's Word. And it's these books that carry a special authority above all other books because their author is God. Not every single book is God-breathed. Not every single book was authored by God, but those books which were authored by God are recognized as Scripture. They are the canon. And remember, because God is the highest authority uh, in the universe, having created the universe, those books that come from God also have the highest authority. So the nature of Scripture, we discussed the nature of Scripture. It is God-breathed, right? The words written down by the apostles are indeed the very words of God. Uh, like I said this morning, someone didn't just decide one day, oh, uh, the Bible's lacking a few books. I better uh, help fill it up a little bit by sitting down and writing Hebrews. Ah, there we go. Our, our New Testament's looking a little bit more full. We're finally catching up to the old. No, uh, people don't just decide to write Scripture. They don't just decide, oh, I'm going to add another book to the Bible. Uh, scripture is the result of God working through man, men being moved by the Holy Spirit to uh, lay out his word. And because scripture is God-breathed and carries the highest authority, uh, it, doesn't uh, it doesn't look to a lesser authority to authenticate it. And what I mean by that is, how do we know that the scriptures are scriptures? Did God send uh, someone to come along and say, thus says uh, th thus says the bishop of such and such, these books are the scriptures and these are not. No, uh, the books of scripture are not determined by someone sorting them out and saying, these books are in the Bible and these ones are not. The fact of the matter is, uh, because there is no authority greater than God, the scriptures bear in itself the mark of authenticity and they do not look to any higher authority to authenticate them, right? God doesn't set, up, uh, set apart someone special with a great amount of authority to decide what the canon is. Rather, we recognize what God has written and we passively accept that which is God-breathed. Hebrews 6.13 says, When God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So God does not use a greater testimony to tell us this is the canon. Uh, rather, the books themselves are self-authenticating. The canon exists apart from any church or council determining it. Uh, it exists because God speaks and his people passively receive it. So well, if no one in the universe knew what the canon was and God had still spoken, there still exists a canon. And a good way to think about this is uh, let's say I wrote a book. Let's say I, or let's say I wrote a couple books. Well, for people to know which books belong to me, I do not need to write an infallible list of 
the, the canon of Alex Kramer. No, the canon of Alex Kramer would exist by virtue of the fact that I wrote the books. I don't need to go out and say these are the books that I wrote. And similarly, the canon exists because God wrote some books and not all books. And God's people recognize, passively recognize, those books which have the voice of God. As, John, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So let's look at how this works out. Let's see how it worked out in history. And we're going to start with the Old Testament canon. What books belong in the Old Testament canon? Well, first, we need to recognize that the Jewish people themselves recognized the books that belonged in their canon. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans asked the question, What advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So God, in his working out his salvific plan through history, takes a specific people, the people of Israel, sets them apart, and he reveals himself to them in a special way. And because God is God, he can ensure that they receive that revelation and that they are able to hold on to it and keep it. They were entrusted with the oracles of God. So God entrusted the Old Testament scriptures to Israel, his chosen people. Uh, To know what they recognized as scripture is to know what belongs in the Old Testament. So we have to ask the question, what were the books that the people of Israel received from God? Once we have that question answered, we know what the Old Test we know what books belong in the Old Testament. Both the New Testament and the historical record demonstrate that the Jews recognized our Old Testament canon as a unit and as authoritative, right? So the very Old Testament that we have in our own Bibles, it is that same Old Testament that the Jews recognized as their divine books, and and I'll demonstrate it. So the books, they number them a little bit differently than we number them, right? I said this morning that there are 39 books in our Old Testament, well, if you, ask a, if you asked a Jew how many books there were in the Old Testament, he would give you one of two answers. He would say 22 or 24. But that's only because they number them differently, not because they have different contents. Uh, one example of, the, of this is First uh, and Second Samuel. They would just call that one book. The 12 minor prophets, they would call the 12 minor prophets, and they're not called the minor prophets because they're less important, they're just, some of the, they're just uh, the smaller ones, but the 12 minor prophets would only be counted as one book. Uh, you're going to have a lot less, quote, books, the number of books in your Bible is going to be a little bit shorter, but it's still going to have everything that our Bible has. So they generally refer to the number of books in the Old Testament as either 22 books or 24 books. And this is because it was symbolic, uh, symbolically corresponding to the numbers of either the Hebrew or the Greek alphabet. And how they went from 22 to 24 uh, depended on whether they counted Ruth as part of the book of Judges and Lamentations as part of the book of Jeremiah, right? So your number of books can get small once you start combining them together. Uh, and, And that's what's going on here. Uh, one uh, scholar uh, by the name of F.F. F. Bruce says this in his book, The Canon of Scripture. The books of the Hebrew Bible are traditionally 24 in number, arranged in three divisions. The first division is the Torah, law or direction, comprising of the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
The second division is called the Nebaim. It is further subdivided into the four former prophets and the four latter prophets. The third division is called the Ketubim. It, compri- it comprises 11 books. First come the Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. Then a group of five called the Megillot or the Scrolls. The Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther. Finally, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. They counted those as one book. Uh, Chronicles. And this is the arrangement regularly followed in the printed editions of the Hebrew Bible. So, as you can see, the contents are the same, just numbered a little bit differently. And this will help us. T- uh, and here's uh, a good graphic of how that exactly worked out. And this would be called the, con- the Tanakh. So the Torah, the Nebaim, and the Ketavim, right? And you just put that together, T-N-K, Tanakh. Uh, and uh, just a note on the presentation. If anyone wants this afterwards, I can print it off for you. Uh, so feel free to ask, and I will be able to give this entire thing. And uh, it, like I said, it feels like this is a fire hose uh, of information that is coming. If there is something that doesn't make sense or you need me to pause on, feel free to raise your hand and ask on it, and I'll be happy to give it. But we need to, we need to continue plodding along. So the New Testament uh, gives testimony to the fact of the Jewish canon, the way they categorize things. Uh, It gave testimony to the fact that the Jewish canon is indeed Scripture. The Old Testament is quoted as Scripture throughout the New Testament, often preceded by the phrase, it is written. When you run into the phrase, it is written in the New Testament, you're about to run into an Old Testament quotation. Of the many conflicts between Jesus and the, uh, the religious leaders, the subject of the canon is not one. So no one argued with Jesus about the contents of the canon. Jesus never quoted from the scriptures to have someone come along and say, Oh no, Jesus, we don't accept that as authoritative. Uh, showing that, generally speaking, the Jewish people knew what belonged in the Bible and what did not. And it shows that Jesus and the apostles had the same canon as the Jews. Jesus' Old Testament wasn't bigger than the Old Testament that was recognized in that day. Like I said, uh, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So Paul acknowledges that the Jews possessed the scriptures that God had given them. And and here's an interesting testimony. At the end of Luke uh, chapter 24, Jesus says this, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. What's that representative? The Tanakh that I just talked about, right? The writings, remember we looked at the writings, the Psalms would be the top book on the writings. So uh, you could say the word Psalms and it would include all of that. So Jesus is basically saying the entire Old Testament testifies of me. It was that threefold division that we talked about. Another interesting place, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 35, in a pronouncement of judgment against the Pharisees, that, uh, so that upon you may fall all the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. And what Jesus is making reference to is Genesis 4, the blood of Abel, in 2 Chronicles 24, where this Zechariah is killed. And uh, we need to recognize that the Jews ordered their canon a little bit differently than we do. In the Jewish Old Testament, Chronicles would have been the last book. So in a way, Jesus is basically saying, all the murders from 
the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. All the martyrs from the beginning to the Bible to the end of the Bible will fall on you. We have further testimony to the canon. Josephus was a Jewish writer who lived uh, not too much longer after the time of Jesus, and he wrote about Jewish history. And he testifies to the fact that uh, the very canon that the Jews believed in is the same canon that we have in our Old Testament. Uh, He says that there are only 22 books uh, that they recognized to contain divine doctrines. And he, uh, like I said, it's either 22 or 24, depending on who you put together. Uh, but uh, the first five books of Moses, uh, the prophets after the time of Moses wrote what they had in 13 books. The remaining four books contain hymns to God. So we see that uh, Moses, the, uh, the prophets, and the writings. We see that same division. And he said that uh, the Jewish people esteem these books to contain divine doctrine. So he's testifying to the fact that the Old Testament that we have is the one that the Jews recognized. The oracles of God passed down to them. Uh, Five books of Moses, 13 prophets, four of the writings. We have further testimony. A man by the name of Melito of Sardis, an ancient Christian, uh, gave a list. The only book he excluded was Esther. Uh, There's no real good explanation as to why he did, but uh, one uh, interesting fact about the book of Esther that that might have gave ancient Christians pause uh, was the fact that uh, throughout Esther, there's not one mention of God. Uh, Just an interesting fact. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not Scripture. It is part of those oracles of God that were given down, but it does uh, maybe explain why this Christian, uh, this individual Christian, uh, had some pause before uh, mentioning that. Lamentations, he doesn't mention Lamentations, but it's usually considered to be part of Jeremiah. Minor prophets were all the same book. So, and like I said, if you want this, I can get it for you and you can go read that. Another individual, uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, he's the first one to give us the, uh, a completed uh, list of the New Testament canon, uh, he too mentions the 22 books that the Jewish people recognized. He did include uh, Baruch, like uh, a book part of the Apocrypha, likely because they considered it to be part of Jeremiah, and he also admit, uh, omits Esther. But otherwise, uh, it's identical to the Jewish canon. So uh, bringing us to the New Testament canon. One, uh, the New Testament authors themselves recognized that what they were writing was authoritative. They knew that what they were writing uh, had a much higher authority than just any other writing. Uh, The writers called themselves apostles, meaning that they were the authoritative spokesmen for Christ. Uh, When they they were sent one, sent by Christ to deliver the message of Christ. So what they were bringing was the very same words of God that they were sent to deliver. The Apostle Paul tells them, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Christ. And then, uh, just previous to this, he says, If anyone comes to you preaching a gospel other than what I preached, let him be condemned. Now, men don't say, let them be condemned, unless what they are preaching is indeed authoritative and comes from God. The Apostle Paul commands that his letters be read in the churches. Uh, to the Colossians, he says, uh, have this letter read among you, and also read it in the church of the Laodiceans, and you also read the letter that comes from Laodicea uh, to you. Thessalonians, he says, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. 
Judgment is pronounced on those who are disobedient to apostolic writings. Uh, If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. He goes on and says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. But if this is not recognized, then he is not recognized. The apostles recognize the authority of their own writings. Uh, We also see that the New Testament authors quote, uh, or at least call, other portions of the New Testament Scripture. So they all knew in their minds what Scripture was, that which God has spoken. Uh, but we also see Peter quote, or the Apostle Paul quoting from Luke and also calling it Scripture. Uh, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. That's from Deuteronomy. But then he also says, the laborer is worthy of its wages. Now, where in the Old Testament does it say that? Well, it's actually in the New Testament that that is found in Luke chapter 10. So right alongside that which God had delivered to the people of Israel, he is quoting from Luke, and he's quoting from it as Scripture. Similarly, Peter calls Paul's writing Scripture. Uh, In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says, "...regard the patience of our Lord as salvation." Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in his letters, speaking, of, speaking in them of these things, in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do with the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. And notice that uh, statement, the rest of scriptures. So when they distort Uh, The teachings of Paul, the writings of Paul, they're distorting those scriptures as with the rest of the scriptures. So Peter recognized the writings of Paul as authoritative as scripture. The earliest Christians also recognized the authority of the New Testament. It was a given that the Old Testament was authoritative. That was the Bible of the early church. Uh, as As we've looked through the book of Acts, we see how dependent they are on the Old Testament. And the early Christians, likewise, were dependent on the Old Testament, recognizing it as the Word of God. But they also recognized that the writings of the New Testament were also Scripture. One early Christian called Barnabas freely quotes from Matthew's Gospel, calling it Scripture. Another writer, Clement, likewise quotes from Matthew, calling it Scripture. Justin Martyr, a, uh, and Martyr wasn't his last name originally. He didn't get that until after he received martyrdom. But this Justin Martyr uh, likewise talks about how the writings of the apostles are read alongside the prophets in the church services. So scripture is read in church. That means both the prophets, the Old Testament, and the writings of the apostles, the New Testament, are to be read. Another guy, Tatian, created the first harmony of the Gospels, and this is only in the second century, and he used the four canonical Gospels that we all recognize. Then Melito of Sardis, we already talked about him. He called the Jewish scriptures the books of the Old Covenant, indicating in his mind that there were books of the New Covenant, which he also lists for us. So sorting out the canon... We've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. History is found in Acts. We have the Pauline epistles, uh, and then what are called the Catholic or the general epistles. Uh, Basically, any epistle that Paul didn't write falls into that category. And then we have the apocalyptic literature, Revelation, the apocalypse of John. 
Some of the criteria that the uh, ancient church used to recognize scripture, and remember, they weren't picking some books out from others and saying, uh, this one's scripture and this one isn't. They were passively recognizing scripture. So uh, first, uh, for it to be recognized as scripture, it had to be ancient, meaning it originated within the lifetime of the apostles. Uh, God spoke through the apostles, and if there's no apostles around to speak, then uh, that which is written at that time cannot be apostolic, uh, cannot be written by them. It's apostolic, so it has to be written by an apostle of Jesus or by a close associate with an apostle. It needs to be orthodox in line with apostolic teachings. It needs to agree, everything needs to agree with one another. As we saw, God does not contradict himself. And then it needs to be Catholic, meaning universally accepted, right? If there's a letter that one tiny little church uh, somewhere thinks is scripture, but the rest of the church and throughout the world says, nah, that ain't it, then that book probably isn't scripture because God uh, allowed his people uh, throughout uh, uh, the geographical area to to recognize this. Uh Uh-oh. Well, that's no good, is it? (laughs) All right, early canon lists. Uh, There's a number of lists, and I'm not going to go through them all, of the canon uh, that we can find throughout the centuries. Some of them are only partial lists. Uh, Some of them will only have fragments of those lists. But the first complete list of the scripture that we have is the letter of Athanasius in 367. And this is the earliest surviving list. So it's not that this is the first time people knew it. Uh, This is just uh, the earliest surviving list that we have, and it's found in his 39th festal letter. Uh, Others, uh, such as a a later uh, Bible scholar named Jerome, recognized uh, the 27 New Testament books as scripture, and he translated them into Latin. Um, Quick uh, look at Athanasius' 39th festal letter. This is where we find uh, our list of scripture. And like I said, this isn't something that he's sitting down and making up. Uh, A festal letter is basically a way of telling people things that they already know. This was already accepted in his day. All right, and this brings us to the question of the Apocrypha, and this is a fun topic. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen a Catholic Bible, and if you're interested, I've got one in the office. If you look at its Old Testament, it's going to be a little bit longer than ours, and we might ask the question, why is that? Well, it's because the Roman Catholic Bible contains the Apocrypha. Uh, these books were written by the Jewish people in the intertestamental period and some of them beyond, and they're generally dated from 300 BC to 100 AD, with the ones in the Catholic Bible uh, mostly falling into the BC category. Uh, the Apocrypha contains history, poetry, wisdom, literature. There's some fictional accounts in it, so short uh, like uh, stories. Uh, and there are also additions to canonical works. For example, Daniel. Uh, there's a longer ending of Daniel that is written in Greek that's found in the Apocrypha. There's a list of the books uh, that are included in the uh, Roman Catholic Old Testament. And these books were included in the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. And because it was included in the Septuagint, there was dispute on whether or not the church should accept them as canon. 
Because remember, they didn't have access to the information that we have access to now. Let's say you're a fresh Christian in the first century, and uh, you know that the Old Testament is Scripture, but let's say your Old Testament at the back has these apocryphal works. Well, how were you to know, especially when uh, you don't have the synagogue, especially as Jewish and Gentile Christian relations began to break, uh, began to break, how is it that you could possibly know which was Scripture and what was not? Well, like I said, that which is Scripture was delivered by God. These books were not. Um, but these books are included in the Roman Catholic canon and the Eastern Orthodox canon. The New Testament does not count these books as Scripture. Uh, that's something that first we need to recognize. Like I said, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, and those oracles of not God never contained the Apocrypha. Like I said, there is that threefold canon that we talked about that never included the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha were recognized as its own unit of books. Good literature worth reading uh, could be edifying, but not Scripture. And never is it, is it included in any of these uh, books. Uh, I already went through these demonstrating that. The Apocrypha is also never written, uh, never quoted as Scripture. There's some allusions to the Apocrypha, just as there are some allusions to other books that aren't even included in the Apocrypha, but it doesn't mean that the apostles counted them as Scripture. Finally, the, uh, uh, the, much of the early church rejected the Apocrypha as Scripture. Josephus, remember we mentioned him, he gives us a list of the old canon. He specifically uh, highlights the Apocrypha, and he says that they have not been esteemed of the like authority with the former, so the Old Testament. And he says uh, that there has not been an exact succession of prophets since the time of the Old Testament. So in the mind of Josephus, prophecy ended with Malachi. Uh, and the books written afterward were not prophetic, hence they were not scripture. Athanasius, similarly, we talked about him, uh, specifically uh, mentions a, a number of books from the Apocrypha, Solomon, uh, Wisdom of Sirach, uh, Judith, and Tobit. Uh, these are books that are in the Jewish Apocrypha, but even Athanasius, an early Christian, recognized not these are not scripture. Uh, further rejection of the Apocrypha, Melito of Sardis, uh, his early canon list didn't include him. Another guy by the name of Origen didn't include him. Jerome did not include him. Uh, there are some errors in the Apocrypha. Uh, one interesting thing, on Saturday morning a few weeks ago, we watched, uh, I, I showed a, a clip of a Roman Catholic priest being asked about a passage in the Apocrypha in the book of Tobit which says, indeed, almsgiving for all who practice it is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. And it goes on and says, for almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life, but those who commit sin and do wrong are their worst enemies. So does almsgiving take away sins? I hope you've been coming here long enough to know that almsgiving does not take away sins. So there are doctrinal errors in the Apocrypha. There are also historical errors. In Judith uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, it says that it was in the 12th year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar who ruled over the Assyrians in the great city of Nineveh. Now, this is a little bit more uh, of a, a challenging question than whether or not almsgiving takes away sins, but what nation did Nebuchadnezzar rule over? Babylon, yep. 
And, and yet we have uh, this historical error saying that he ruled over Nineveh. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, not Assyria. Similarly, uh, we have in the book of Baruch uh, the prophecy that um, the people of Israel will be uh, captives to Babylon and they, they will be there for seven generations. Now, he's close. How many years were they to be in exile in Babylon? Seventy years. Yeah, 70 years, seven generations. Not exactly the same thing. So some historical errors. Not to say that these books can't be read. Not to say you should go burn them all. They're excellent uh, historical sources to look at. Uh, but they're not scripture. So some final thoughts on the Apocrypha. Those with a greater knowledge of Judaism and the Hebrew language stuck with the Jewish Old Testament scriptures, the ones that we are in, our, in possession of. The ones who knew what the Jews believed about it rejected the Apocrypha. Those with less knowledge generally accepted the Apocrypha as Scripture. And like I said, because it was tagged on to the end of their Bibles in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation. Uh, Augustine, for example. We hear a lot of great things about Augustine, but uh, he had a very limited knowledge of Greek. And he believed that uh, because the Apocrypha was found in the uh, Greek translation, that it belonged in Scripture. And the issue would be discussed for the next thousand years with faithful and knowledgeable Christians coming down on both sides of the issue. And uh, something interesting, even popes taught different things regarding the Apocrypha. Uh, one of the most famous popes of the Roman Catholic Church, a guy by the name of Gregory the Great, explicitly rejected the Apocrypha. The issue finally came to a head at the Reformation where the reformers rejected the Apocrypha for the very same reasons that I demonstrated today. And the Church of Rome declared it to be part of the Old Testament canon and declared that you're going to hell if you don't believe them. Uh, and this didn't happen until the Council of Trent, 1545. So if you were a Christian, up until the days of 1545, you really had no clue what was in your Bible. But then finally, uh, the church has spoken at the Council of Trent. And you finally, after 1,500 years, uh, can know what is in the Bible. So anyway, uh, conclusion. Some things, some big takeaways uh, to take away from this. One, we can have certainty that the books that were inspired by God have been faithfully preserved through the ages. Every single word that God has spoken to us, we are in possession of. Uh, God has not allowed us to lose it. The word of the Lord stands forever. Two, we can have certainty that the books that are in our Bibles are the books that God intended for us to have in our Bibles. We can have confidence that the Old Testament is the very word of God entrusted to Israel and inherited by the early church. And we can have confidence that the New Testament accurately teaches the message of Jesus and, of, and is itself scripture. And then finally, we can be confident that as we read and proclaim the scriptures that we're proclaiming the very words of the creator. God has spoken to us. He has given his word to us. We have a sure word. We can rest on it. We can read it, we can pray it, we can be confident in it, we can believe it. Uh, God has not left us without his voice here in this world, and that voice is the scriptures. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and as I said, at, uh, if you'd like a copy of this presentation, I can get it for you, but let's close in prayer. Our God, we are thankful uh, for what you've done in history, for what you've done in giving us the scriptures, uh, for speaking to us in such a clear way. 
and that we can read it even in our own language uh, all these thousands of years later. We're thankful for the faithful men and women whom you have used to bring that to us. I pray that we would now actually read them, that we would take advantage of the great blessing that you have given us, a tremendous access to your word. No one throughout the entire history of Christianity to this day has had the access that we have. I pray that we would use that, that we would not waste it and take it for granted. I pray that we'd be blessed by the reading of your word and the obeying of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.